0: Is Mystique (laughs) from from X-Men, always using her power to make her appearance, quote, normal as J-Law. That's what it's like being (laughs) the only black person in a white office. So that's like
1: very, very into the nerdy comic book weeds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Black And, a candid conversation about racism, white people, and ways to move forward. I'm Jonathan. And I'm April. And we're brother and sister looking to discuss how race informs important issues, current events, and what white people looking to make a difference can do. On this episode, we're looking forward to our conversation with Derek Johnson, who has served as a public defender uh, in the D.C. area for the last, uh, I believe, six or seven years. Uh, but before that, April, what's on your mind?
0: Okay, so. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, and then... <laughs> what?
1: I don't know. I can already just tell you're going to give us a good one.
0: Well, and then I'm hoping we can sort of flesh it out together, because I don't... Yeah, I'm, don't I know so you'll be able to relate, but I'm hoping we can like put yeah a more concrete thought and reason behind it. Okay. I'm just going to bet a little bit. Okay. So, I was at work um this past week... And I, so my work is mostly white people. Um, but I found myself, um, in one of our, like, game type, game room type, uh, places at work, um, getting coffee, and I found myself, um, with two other, um, non-white employees and like alone with them alone with them yeah just the three of us in the same room um we just all had to be getting coffee at the same time to- pure pure coincidence um but what struck me was my body language how i felt hmm. in the room with them and the Sort of like a wave of just ease mm-hmm. that washed over me. It wasn't like anything dramatic, but I think the point was that I felt different than I usually do on a day to day basis because I was in a room alone with the other people in the company who looked like me.
1: And different in a Few good way. People, yes,
0: different in a good way. I was more relaxed, my shoulders dropped. Hmm. to relax. Um, I wasn't thinking about how they were looking at me or what I was doing to cause them to maybe look at me or I wasn't focused on how the things I was doing at that time would separate me even more from my peers. Hmm. Um, It was strange in a good way. We didn't hardly talk, just some, you know, the pleasantries. Um, But it was just a feeling of ease
1: for so 10 minutes. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, I all of my I've had had four or five five or six different jobs throughout my profession as a lawyer um, and this most recent one where I have gotten a job at UCLA in the Diversity and Inclusion office, all of my colleagues are non-white. Um, and it's the first time that has ever been that way. Most of the jobs that I've had have been in largely white spaces, mm-hmm. white-owned law firms, general counsel's offices at white institutions, um, and this is the first time that I've worked around exclusively non-white people, and it is a different atmosphere. It's yeah. a completely different atmosphere um, in terms of comfort level and ease of communication, and there's not that extra pressure of trying to guard against racism.
0: Right. And when I'm like, you know, a normal day at my office, I am comfortable. I, we have a really nice workspace. Um, I like my team. I'm the only person of color on my team. But that is just a, a new norm. You know, that's just, that's how you live life as a person of color for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so, because of that, everything that I say... And do and again, it's not so conscious of a you know thought process. It's more just the default of being around all white people as a black person. What you say and what you do and your how you act and your body language is filtered so that it it can be communicated to white people mm-hmm. and and received by mm-hmm. white people. I should say. Um, and we do that automatically. Automatically. Do that yeah, that's thinking. just how. Yeah. That's just how you operate, operate. yeah. And so when I found myself in a space, just very briefly, with no white people, it was so interesting. Those things went away Mm -hmm. briefly. And even how I was standing was different and was just natural.
1: And, yeah. I just, this just came to me. And tell me if this is right. So... For people, I'm I'm thinking that a lot of our listeners won't be able to relate to this, obviously, because a lot of our listeners are white. But a lot of our listeners are also women. So I'm thinking of an example of how would a woman, picture the corollary being how a woman would feel in terms of her own safety and comfort in a room full of other women versus a room full of all men. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is... It's not the same thing. Right. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's close. But it's comparable, and yeah. it's comparable. Yeah. Um, that is... And I won't speak for all black people, but that is how I feel when I am in a room with all white people. Yeah. I feel on edge, and, in a professional setting. Mm-hmm. I feel on edge, I feel highly scrutinized, mm-hmm. I feel... And it's not... These are not... Uh, this isn't paranoia, mm-hmm. this is based off my experience. This is based off of like comparing my work to my white colleagues and me being more harshly judged for it in my past. Um, That is how I feel when I'm the only person of color in a room. And when I substitute that out for this new job that I have that is all black and brown people, it is a freeing experience. I'm more productive. I am, you know, um, and so that is something to, yeah, it's something that I hope white people will keep in mind at, at your jobs. Mm-hmm. That one black person that you work with is there and that probably gets along with you great and you mm-hmm. get along with them great. I'm not saying that it's this overarching sort of negativity. It's this unspoken automatic shift in sort of comfort level Um that isn't a thing you can control. Right.
0: And it's not something that like I'm so, so not encouraging white people to like ask their one black coworker, do you feel okay? Right. Like, do you Today? feel you can be yourself? Like, no, they don't, and don't ask them that. <laughs> but it's just something that white people should keep in mind. Like, I'm sitting at my desk, love my team, love my coworkers, I'm the only black person on the team. Those things are all true. Right. So within that truth is just the reality that do I behave the exact same way at work around all white people as I would if I worked with all black and brown people? No. So I think what I, I think what's on my mind is just having white people be aware of that. And if you find yourself, like I think about sometimes when I'm like hanging with a group of black people would my white coworkers recognize me? Would they be surprised mm. at the difference How you present, in me yeah. depending on who I'm around? Yeah. I think they would be, mm-hmm. yes. Or would I change mm-hmm. when they entered the room? Mm. Do I change automatically when a white person comes in? Yes, I think they yeah. do. I think I yeah. Is this all quote right? I don't know. This is just me... Like, morally? Yeah. Yeah, right, right, Is it right for me to change who I am? You know, not who I am, but just to change, you know, certain aspects of... How you sort of read, yeah. Yeah, exactly, how I read. I don't know, but it's... I can tell you, it's what happens. Right. Um, I think... I don't think I... Yeah, I don't think I need white people to do anything for this conversation. Well... I just need people to know that, like, this is a thought that black people have. Well, and I think it's also important to keep in mind that, like... And I
1: have to be really careful about how I say this because I don't want to suggest that black people need white people to legitimize us or to make us successful. But on the whole, I'm speaking in generalities, on the whole, when white people are around non-white people, it's a choice. It's a they work for a company or a or they they're interacting at a store or at a wherever or have friend a friend group, you know, that has a black person in it, and they're choosing to interact with people that are not like them. White people could choose to be around just white people. In life. In yeah. life. And be totally fine. Go to stores that are all white people go to, work in a business that is all white people where all the, you know. Professionals, secretaries, janitor, CEO are all white. Um, people who are not in the majority race and in the race that is in power, i.e., white people, don't have that option of being around just people like us. We don't have the option of living, working and existing in an environment that is just black people, for you example. You could probably
0: choose one. You could, you, know, right. you could find a job where you're only working with black people. Right. You might be able to find a grocery store where you would only, you know, right. interact with black people. You might be able to find a school where you're only, you know, uh, around black people. Right. But it'd be, you'd be very hard-pressed to live your life yeah. where you're only interacting with other black and brown people. So all that is to say
1: that, at, back to the work setting... You know, when you have that one black colleague that's in a department full of white people, that person's trying to be successful and trying to do what they need to do to have a good career and a good profession. And if they could choose whether they were in a department of all white people and they're the only black person, they would never, ever, ever choose that ever because it's not fun. It is it is. A, that is a negative characteristic of that department, and it's, it happens automatically. It's not just because white people are negative; it's
0: because it's like wearing a thunder blanket. Oh no, <laughs> all the time, you know. So what's that? What's so like, like just like a heavy. I'm trying to make it sound like it's a. It's like a a thunder blanket, just like a heavy blanket that adds. It's supposed to like Security comfort dogs and like keeps. Oh right, yeah. it right, right, keeps you tight um, and like but warm, like yeah. but I'm thinking about the weight on your shoulders. It's like having, yeah, it's like having a, a padded. Vest or wearing a like backpack a backpack full of
1: weights. It's like wearing a <laughs>
0: backpack full of bricks. Or trying
1: to run with a parachute behind you.
0: Yeah. Yes. All the time. So I feel like when I was in the game room with my other two black coworkers, I could briefly take my backpack off. Right. And then when you go out back right. into the office, you put your backpack back on. Right. That's what it feels like.
1: So right, and it's like using for me. I think of like it's using a part of my brain that. I could be using for something else. I could mm-hmm. be using to help me be more logical or mm-hmm. more it's efficient like or more. It's like, OMG,
0: hold on. Okay, here we it's go. It's like, it's like when, um, fuck, what's her name? The okay. Blue Mutant. It's like, yes, Mist- okay, hold, hold on, no, 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 hold on. Yes, I got you. It's I
1: mystique got you, girl. Hold on. Wanting- one Hold on. <laughs> X-Men. You need to oh, okay. paint the picture. It's
0: Mystique.
1: <laughs> from X-Men. From
0: X-Men. Always using her power to make her appearance, quote, normal as J-Law. As Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) It's her. And then Magneto is like, you think you're using all your power, girl? No, you're not. He throws that weight at her. She catches it and turns back blue. Right. So for that time, she wasn't focusing on her appearance. It was just stopping this thing from being thrown at her. (laughs) That's what it's like being the only black person in a white office. So that's like
1: very, very into the nerdy comic book weeds so that right so i just feel like a lot of people don't know what That's you're talking fine. about you can explain it
0: i just had to get that out right, right.
1: no you're so right so the, she's describing a character from an x-men movie that is na- her natural mutant state is this blue figure that would catch everyone's attention but her human state she can transform herself to look like anyone her human state is jennifer lawrence basically it's this white woman um, and the point that's being made is that if she's using part of her power to become this Jennifer Lawrence white human character, she can't be using all of her concentration and her power to fight and to do good because a part of her brain is being used to concentrate on keeping her appearance looking a certain way. Yo, this is, like,
0: right on target.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is exactly right.
2: right. I just need to make sure OMG, everyone knows what you're yeah. talking about.
0: Yeah. So At is, work, I, I mean, yeah. It is oh, using at a part work, of your brain, I'm, right. I will never say this again. At work, I'm Jennifer Lawrence. At home, will never say at home, I'm my blue real self, Mystique self, yeah, yeah. And I love that X
1: Men. Just as a side note, Professor X and Magneto are modeled after Martin Luther King and uh, Malcolm X, X. X. Yeah. Just FYI for the listeners, go Google that. Yeah. Um, but yes, no. That's a really good. That's a really good um, example for all of our nerdy listeners who. Are into X Men and know what we're talking about. Um, All of you should be. You, I was gonna say you should, cause right. Um,
0: so yeah, that's what's on my mind.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm trying to think of what the takeaway.
0: I think is it, for our for I think for-, for white people. Like I said, this I don't. There's no action here. Your action item will come later. This is just, just like keep that in the back of your head.
1: And the same applies to friend groups as well. Yeah, like it's if you have one black friend in your friend group, a examine why you only do have better. one. Right? Yeah. Why, why do you only have one black friend in your friend group? Um, but b think about that black friend and what they are doing to avoid certain hardship or certain scrutiny or certain attention being drawn to themselves as the one friend who is a different race than all the other friends in the group. That could come in the form of jokes, that could come in the form of things that are trying to be self-deprecating, but yeah.
0: And imagine your friend, when everyone's leaving the bar or whatever, going home and either taking off that backpack full of rocks or turning blue, (laughs) turning into their real self, because that's what's happening. Right. If, they get to relax yeah, and they get let to go back out. and just be themselves. Not that they're being fake when they're with you, but there is that just extra little filter.
1: Veneer Just, of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. It's a,
0: I'm happy this was on your mind today. Yeah. Thanks. So when we come back, we will have our conversation with Derek Johnson. Hi Derek, welcome.
2: Thanks for talking with us
0: today.
2: Hi, thank thank you very much for having me.
0: Um, so to start off, if you could just tell our listeners a bit about your professional background. Um, how did you come to be a public defender?
2: Um, uh, well, try not to go too long on this one, but I mean <laughs> I I went to law school kind of knowing that I wanted to do civil rights law or, or be a public defender. Um Took a took a civil rights law class pretty early on, and and realized that it, it had been unfortunately, in my mind, it, it, the courts had somewhat decimated a lot of the the civil rights types of cases. Right, I remember a case where an officer had done a chokehold on somebody, and but basically, it was decided that you know that person either had to not be doing any illegal activity, or it would have to they'd have to prove that. Officers used illegal chokeholds on everybody in a similar situation for there to be any kind of, you know, recovery or or anything like that at the end. And that just kind of blew my mind. And then when I started taking classes, having to do with the Fourth Amendment and uh, illegal searches and seizures and all that stuff, uh, you know, it it just kind of opened my mind up to that in a lot of ways, being a public defender is, you know, uh, practicing civil rights in real time. Uh, but also helping people on a day-to-day basis, at least, you know, I'm not saying I help people all the time. I'm not talking like that, but I mean, the opportunity to be able to help people directly, uh, rather than, you know, five years after whatever happened to them and all that, I'm, I'm a little bit better in the, in the, in the moment type context. So (laughs) I, I did an internship in, uh, in Miami uh one summer and kind of just fell in love with it and uh and uh yeah I've pretty much
1: been you you knew you uh, wanted to be a a public defender when you went to law school
2: uh either that or civil rights and and I mean I knew I wanted to practice civil rights in some way shape or form and I kind of you know it's it it's probably How'd how'd you come to that (laughs) <laughs> so I grew up in a very, uh, I mean, the elementary school I went to was majority black growing up and then uh, growing up in, that was Northern Virginia. And then I changed school systems and ended up in a in a very, very diverse school, uh, at least as, as far as I've um well, as far as I knew, and then you know, it was even in National Geographic. It's like Changing America and all that. So, like, I was oh, exposed wow. to a different level of of diversity, maybe than a lot of people have been. And it just uh, <laughs> it and this is ridiculous. you
1: it, and this is you as a white guy, I should say, for our yes.
0: listeners. That I was gonna say, it's it's so interesting because I'm I'm glad Johnny said that because you're. <laughs> It's, this is just an observation. The cadence in your voice and the way you speak, you, um, I would guess, have you been mistaken for a black
2: person before? <laughs> and your
0: name. In I'm going to keep my ass. Derek Johnson, man.
2: And mine, yes, I've been for Stere- um, black Stereotypes black. Are, are what they are, but whatever. Yes, I have Spelled been mistaken the black before. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so good. So it, it, it sounds like you sort of from the outside saw that there was room uh, f- to change things from the inside um, uh, and, and sort of went about your career that way?
2: Yeah, I guess. You know, I grew up basically idolizing Dr. King, you know, and, and didn't have a full understanding of the Civil Rights Movement and Dr. King early on, but still, like, I used to say on interviews, like, I either wanted to be a football player or, like, actually Dr. King, which is ridiculous, <laughs> because I know I'm a white guy, right? But it's, um, as, I, as I studied it more, I did an internship one uh, year in college in Montgomery, Alabama, with, uh, oh. I, I guess, the remnants of the Montgomery Improvement Association, which, you know, was the group founded to do the, the uh, Montgomery bus boycott. And it was kind of a historical archive. So, I, you know, the more I, I kind of took a deep dive into the civil rights movement, I learned the, about the role the lawyers played and I guess started to idolize them somewhat. And I thought that that would be a good, a good spot for me rather than kind of being the, you know, you, it, it's hard to sort of be the face of, of any kind of civil rights type thing when you're, you know, when you're a white guy. <laughs> um and it it feels strange in a lot of ways so yeah. uh, and it turns out being a public defender just really I mean I used to always get in trouble for trying to you know defend other kids who got in trouble with the teacher growing up I mean that's kind of a, <laughs> a thing you'll hear often with people who are who end up being public defenders and even when I talked to my mom about it she's you know, she'd probably rather I make some more money, but at the same time, she's like, you know, you've you've always been a public defender, you just didn't know it yet, kind of. Wow. So it's good. That's Precious. pretty cool. Yeah. So,
0: so I'm gonna be real. <laughs> I watch <laughs> a lot of Law and Order.
2: Yeah. yeah. She just, said, "I'm gonna be real." real with you. I watch <laughs> a lot. <of> law. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I do.
0: Um, and so when I think of a public defender, I think about someone holding a stack of uh files hundred of mm-hmm. them um because they are dealing with that many cases a day um you know sort of running around like crazy trying to help as many people as they can um often like sweating cuz they've been running from building to building <laughs> client to client uh so can you can you sort of describe if i'm wrong if Law and Order has lied to me, can you can you describe a, a normal day for you? How many cases do do you handle at a time, um, uh, and and what kinds of I guess crimes are you defending? The the level or grade of them
2: alleged crimes, alleged, alleged crimes. Yes. Well, I'm still defending crimes, right? <laughs> fair, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> that are alleged. Um, I guess that you know, Law and Order in a lot of ways is completely. <laughs> right, but Damn. in terms of your idea of what a public defender might look like, I, I mean, that has been me on many, many days. Uh, <laughs> in terms of the number of cases, I don't even really know for sure. I'm uh, there were times when I worked in Colorado when I had you know 180 to 250 misdemeanor cases, which you know, by every standard, you know, uh, American Bar Association standard is, is probably way too much. Uh, and I certainly probably have more than I'm supposed to in terms of felony cases right now. But where I work, we kind of do a mixed caseload. Uh, you, you have like misdemeanor court dockets and a lot of our attorneys have maybe three of those a week, and it'll be, I don't know, it could be 60 cases that week. It could be, and these are, like, actual trial dates, right? So you show up to court, and there's, I don't know, 15 cases set for trial, and technically they could all have an actual trial occur. But in reality, Jeez. it's a, its a, you know, crazy, crazy day if, like, four of them go. Uh, as you guys probably know, something like 97% of cases resolved with plea deals or some other you know type of resolution other than an actual trial and certainly other than a jury trial um but my day a lot of times it'll it'll be checking the docket the day before seeing how many cases i have and then somehow i'll have i don't know maybe nine nine felony uh cases that have you know are set for some kind of status or motions date or a bail review, things of that nature, and of course they're all set at the same exact time in <laughs> sure. four different courtrooms, and I'm, you know, bouncing back and forth, uh, trying to find prosecutors, find clients, and and you know, sometimes it, you, you're all done in the early afternoon, and you feel like, you know, your whole day is like <laughs> you just, right. you know, kind of run the gauntlet a little bit, um, wow. but. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weeks where I feel like I'm in court almost all week and I'm and I'm like, when the heck am I supposed to actually do you know, review discovery and write motions for right. trials. Right.
1: I think people forget that there's you know th- that's one of the things that Law and Order has done, I think. It just a scene is over and then they do the little they make the little sound effect, you know. Dun dun dun. And then it's the next yep. the next hearing of the same trial where like you know I know and you know that hundreds of pages have been exchanged and written and researched and um, that stuff doesn't just happen automatically so you're doing this the courtroom stuff but you're also doing the the book work the legal book work that it takes to actually make these motions and make these sort of arguments which is I just think people forget about that Um, so just props to you who knows
2: Well, it's not just me. One of the best things about working at, at public defender's offices that I've had and the multiple locations I've been at is that it really is a, a team kind of hive mind uh, culture a lot of times. Uh, we go through a lot, and we all support each other. And, you know, we got some people in my office who got matching tattoos that have to do with one of the Jeez. symbols from our office. I mean, it it's as close <laughs> as Dedication. I've ever – yeah, I mean, it's as close as I've ever experienced to, you know, being on a sports team. Like, I feel in a lot of ways kind of similar to when I played football, right? We're all, and not to any disrespect to the armed forces, but we're, we're all going to battle every day, uh, right. fighting together and, and for common goals, and we all support each other in that way. So the whole reason I said that is because if I need to write a motion, I bounce it off of people. I get a sample mm-hmm. motion, something to start from. I mean, it's yeah. You know, we're 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 basically a big law firm of criminal defense attorneys, and those don't really exist uh, in in <laughs> in right. the way that people might think they do.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um. So, our podcast, as you know, is about race. Um, yes. And so we got to start talking about that. Um, so I wonder if you could describe um your experience with the criminal justice system and um, and particularly in the roles that you've served in um, uh, as as it relates to race so you know, think of the prosecutors you've been up against, think of the judges you've been before, the defendants um, how how does what is what's the sort of racial landscape of your of the environment that you're in in the within this part of the criminal justice system and and how do you think race, plays a role if at all well it's a big question i know (laughs) yeah
2: it is Uh, i mean i'd start off by saying it depends where you're at uh when i first got out of law school i went to go practice in colorado in a a place called fort collins and as you guys know from what i said earlier i kind of got into being a public defender for reasons related to to race and I got to a place where, I don't know, 90, 90 out of 100 clients were white. And it was really interesting. And uh, so, as you can imagine, all the judges were white. Uh, basically, all my co-workers were white. All the prosecutors were white. Um, maybe one wasn't. I'm not really sure uh, in no. terms of prosecutors. But all the court staff, everybody. And uh on the same you know on the other hand i was still when i did get a, a black client and i don't know for example they had a suspended driver's license and kept getting stopped for it i would be telling them that look you know where you live mm-hmm. uh you can't i mean <laughs> you drive around with a suspended license this is what happens you're gonna end up with four or five cases at once and not that they're that's okay but it's just
1: you're getting stopped um, yeah
2: I remember I think I texted you Jonathan one day when I saw three black people in a day and <laughs> I was riding the bus at that time and I was st- I was like I couldn't believe it and it was it was strange uh, oh, it's where that white it's,
0: now you mean you saw three black people in a day as in just living your daily life you saw three, three black, black people, people. and yeah. and that was surprising because of how white Fort Collins is.
2: Yes. Wow. Yes. And I mean, my significant other at the time, she was Indian, and she at first felt strange there. I mean, grew to love Fort Collins. Um, It was easy being white and living there, and I had a lot of mixed feelings in the way that I didn't really want to raise a kid in a place where they, you know, maybe encountered three black people in, in a week, and it was almost too comfortable there. At times, uh, I and I loved it when I came home and would see people from from everywhere, and uh, so I am now where I work. It's I don't know, probably seventy five percent of my clients are black, and uh, race is a lot more at the at the forefront of everything I do. Uh, I mean. You know, I've, there's been times where we're watching a video and trying to figure out if, if what the police officer said was really what we thought we heard, right? I mean, did it? Hmm. Did he just call that seventy-year-old black man boy, right? Wow, Things wow. like that. I mean, it's and so this is in what state? I work in Maryland now, and just to be clear, I'm not speaking for any kind of organization or anything, but uh, yeah. So it's it was a uh, a little bit. Like I said, interesting. I got into this job for reasons related to trying to to help those who didn't look like me and didn't grow up like me. But it it's still somewhat shocking, I, I guess, seeing it in, in a state that, granted, is is probably below the Mason Dixon line, but not exactly. You know, I, I'm not working where where you were born, in Mississippi or something like that, right? <laughs> so right. it's... Uh, Still. So, yeah, there's been, I mean, where... Are, so we, we do have, there There are a, a couple of judges of color who well, are more than a couple now, there's a few. But, I mean, the people who are at the bench, they're, they're the first, you know, the first black male in, in, in felony court, yeah. first black male in, in misdemeanor court judge, first female you know, a black female judge in the county. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. Um,
1: And that is, and I was going to say, even, you know, I think about that as it relates to like, when you see one of these um, horrible uh, altercations happening between a cop and and an unarmed black man on the street, and sometimes the cop will be black. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where it's like, right, because, you know, and this is us saying this, you know, the institution of policing in America is, it needs to be improved in so many ways and is so affected by what it was based on and what it was, uh, you know, what its sort of original goals were that, like, it doesn't matter who's the race of the person carrying out the decision or the the infraction or the order from, you know, ruling from a, a judge or a the race of the cop that ends up beating up someone it's just sort of like the system itself is is so
0: Yeah, and I feel like people often forget that racism is so um it's so American that <laughs> it it affects black people too. Oh. I mean, you right, know, right. like it affects how we see each other, which yeah. is such a, a crazy thing to think about because you know, it makes me see myself and black people through the racist lens of America because I'm an American. Right. And that's, you know,
2: self-hating.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm taught to see.
2: I I mean, that obviously that was just making me think it, it, the things I, that I've heard from. And of course, I can't repeat the things I've heard from clients uh, certainly can reflect that at times uh, trying to differentiate themselves from. You know, I'm not this type of person. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm this type of person. And that's, that's, I'm not somebody who judges. A lot of times clients will try to convince me they're a good person. And honestly, I, I don't, I mean, I care, but I don't <laughs> care in the way, like, I mean, you could have, you know, five murders on your record and I'm still going to work hard to represent you. It's not All like right. I'm going to be like, oh not, I don't even worry about that guy. Right? Mm. So... That-
1: You know, and so that sort of reminds me also of a question I wanted to ask you that is such has to be such a common question that you get asked, but I know our listeners would want to ask it. So, uh, how do you represent
2: those people exactly? Yeah, Yeah. so how do
1: you represent someone that has five
2: murders on their record? It, you know, how do you sleep at night, Derek? (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting because my answer to that question, uh, you know, considering we're on a podcast talking about race, it does often change depending who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, I think that an easy answer for a lot of of the the type of people who would ask me that question is that, you know, a a rich person is going to get an attorney, whether they're guilty or not. Why? So just because you can't afford one, uh, that shouldn't make any difference. Uh, There's the part that uh, yes, a lot of people get accused of crimes who are guilty of something, uh, but I think one of the worst parts of the, of the justice system is, is, I guess, the discretion to be able to overcharge people. Um, I get cases that should, I mean, there might be like small cuts on someone's hand, but it could get charged as attempted murder because of the allegation someone had a, had a pocket knife and was slashing at somebody. And of course, a case where you're charged with attempted murder, even though it should be a fairly simple assault, I mean, there's nobody who's, I hope, not many people who think it should just be rubber-stamped and someone should be convicted of everything they're charged with. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect lies, is that maybe somebody is guilty of something, but they're certainly not guilty of everything they got charged with and whether even if you were guilty of everything you got charged with, I mean, punishment still needs to be fair. And I think uh, our justice system, at least historically, has been geared towards incarceration being some kind of I don't even know if it's thought of as a panacea or, or like the thing that solves all this weird combination of punishment. Right. And when you're locked in a box for years, you you might think twice next time uh, is completely ignorant in respect to the types of things that bring people into the criminal justice system in the first place, right. uh, such wow. as drug addiction or, or a, you know, a really bad upbringing or, you know, just... Being in the wrong place at the at the wrong time with the wrong people, right? And it's it's really, um, I don't know. I, I think everyone deserves a lawyer, of course. I, and there have been bad cases that I've known were going to be bad throughout that I've, you know, I I feel like a real public defender would volunteer for those cases, mm. right?
1: Wow. Do so you feel like you're also a you sort of alluded to it here. You said even punishment needs to be fair. Do you do you feel like you're a check on prosecutors? That's how I sort of view you. Like, even if the person is completely guilty of what the crime he has charged, the prosecutors still need to do all the right things in order to put him in jail. They can't just do... It's not automatic, like you said, rubber stamp. Do you feel like a check on them?
2: Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to be. Uh, I think I mean, I think that's the whole point of someone having an attorney. Uh, and i I strongly believe in you know, the a lot of the founding principles of of the United States, although I know not many of them have actually um, you know, come to work as as a lot of us might hope. But I think if you strongly believe that's it's always so interesting to me that the people who are very, very pro America are also maybe, um, the ones most flabbergasted by, you know, right. oh, they get a free defense attorney that we have to pay for. <laughs> and it's like, right. if, if you really believe in that stuff, it is a cornerstone of, 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 you know, um, our system that it is better for uh, a guilty person to go free than an innocent person to be convicted. And it's, It's not just, oh, he did it, so he gets convicted. It's That needs to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And, I, yeah, I think the state is required to do that, and there's nothing in the system that should be a rubber stamp. Um, It was never contemplated that way. And, I don't know, the more philosophically, the more I think about it, I I feel like, you know, the so-called, we call them the founding fathers, I mean, they knew that things weren't exactly going to work the way they were written out. But for them to recognize way back when that even, you know, a, you know, a murder and a and the theft of a bike to have the same standard of proof, right, it, and, and to mm-hmm. recognize how powerful it was to kind of have that scarlet letter of conviction on somebody way back when and to put juries in as a check, I mean, I think that... Yeah, uh, I I like the idea of being a check on the prosecutor, and it is uh, astounding how much power uh, prosecutors have in the justice system. It is absolutely astounding.
0: (laughs) Could you, can you uh, flesh that out a little more? Can you talk about the the power of the prosecutors? Um, Because I think a lot of people, when they think of the criminal justice system, they think about police. And judges um, and the uh, quote criminals uh, themselves, but can you talk about the, the role and the power that prosecutors have? Because I think it it I think people are often surprised to hear um, how uh, affecting they are.
2: I, I mean, every step of the way, I, I guess you. Well, let's just say me. I could have a, a misdemeanor charge that could is, is allowable by law to be prosecuted in felony court, and a prosecutor could decide that they wanted to take my case to a grand jury and, and get it indicted, and I could all of a sudden, you know, be in a essentially a whole different court with a whole different process, uh, just because somebody, I guess. I was going to say took a liking, but I guess took a disliking to the right. facts, yeah. facts of my case. Uh, I could say that that Jonathan assaulted me. Jonathan could say that I, I assaulted him. We could both file reports. The police might charge both of us and then a prosecutor might decide which one they believe. And one of our cases gets dismissed. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, Jonathan's the victim even though I said he assaulted me as well. Uh, It's, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had a case where, for example, I have a client in jail that was like, well, I, I reported this theft. And, and then all of a sudden they went and, you know, said, I stole something, I stole something from them or something, you know, you get these competing Mm -hmm. charges type of situations and, You know, I look up the case and it's been dismissed. And my client's like, wow, what the heck? Like, they really did do that to me. And it's just like Hmm. basically getting to pick and choose who's a victim and and who's not. Um, And you get into the, uh, I guess I would call it maybe the scarier stuff, and that uh, uh, prosecutor's offices are in charge of all the discovery for criminal cases, meaning all the police reports, all the everything you would get as evidence for a criminal case. And, you know, there is, I guess that type of system is ripe for instances of misconduct because Mm -hmm. you might be convinced that someone's a bad person, that they did this. And there may be a piece of evidence that you know, you think is going to get this guilty person off on a technicality or something and, and decide to not share that information and come mm. up with some legal rationale for why not. And then it just never comes to light. And mm. I, it probably will never come. to. I mean, there's really no other way to, to get that type of information except in a post-conviction type proceeding. And, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware and probably a lot of your listeners are aware of of the insane amount of cases that end up getting overturned because something wasn't turned over or, you know, purposely or it was destroyed or or a witness wasn't talked to. I mean, and that's all sort of in the that's all sort
1: of under the discretion of the prosecutor. What what of the of the evidence gets handed over? Of course, they have. You know, ethical obligations in certain respects, but like you said, they can sort of think of ways to get around certain things that might not cast their case in the best light. They
0: and sort of—it sounds like they sort of paint a picture of the defendant to present, Yes. and then that obviously has sway. That's Either what the way. defendant is. That's, that's yeah, that's what like it that. is.
2: Yeah, and it does, and it—it's really, uh, it's it's your word carries a lot more weight if you're a prosecutor or a police officer in a in a courthouse, to a judge and oftentimes to a jury. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no way, I mean, power, and I'm not saying all prosecutors are corrupt, right? But power does corrupt in a lot of ways. And uh, it's easy to believe that you are righteous and that you are doing the right thing. Um, and I've seen in some situations that I mean, I had a, a former prosecutor once tell me that they only speak the truth, and that is, I mean, oh with God. such <laughs> righteousness in their voice, yeah. and, and right. I knew for a fact that wasn't always the case, and and it's... Uh, it's uh, <sighs>
1: I bet that I person know. probably believed it too. He did. <laughs> you know, you uh, know, yeah. That's
0: literally not he the case did. with any human. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah.
1: What you must... know, basically,
2: I am the truth. I am
1: just. I was going to say, what must your job and your position in the system be to instill that kind of a mindset into you? You know, like, I am
2: truth. It's like, oh man, that is. Are you though? Yeah. 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 Right. So... Or, or just even just you read, uh, uh, you know, a probable cause statement, which is basically a summary, uh, you know, a two or three paragraph summary sometimes of what all the police reports, you know, in the best light towards the, the charges sticking. Right. And, and you just read that piece of paper. And then off of that, you are 100% convinced who the good guy is, who the bad guy is that everything uh-huh. in there is true. And, I'll see you know, prosecutor do a bond argument and talk about a, a, a human that they've never talked to, they don't really know anything about, and basically portray them as some kind of horrible menace to society for a case that, you know, in the end ended up getting dismissed or, or the allegations as written didn't support the charges, mm. right? And it's, um, yeah, it's... It's wild. <laughs>
0: Sounds disheartening.
2: Um, it, it certainly it can be. I mean, we the justice system is not a happy-go-lucky place uh, <laughs> by by any means. No matter who's charged and and who's involved, because I yeah, I am I know that most people um, who do I guess what we consider to be bad things, they're they're. You know, there's mental illness. There's addiction. There's um, just growing up. I, I've always said, you know, my friends stole candy when I was growing up, and some people's friends steal cars. I mean, what does that do to somebody in terms of what what's normalized? And if you're if your friends are are getting in trouble with the police all the time, then you know you're like, oh, I've only had one conviction, like, right? Mm-hmm. As if that's like a, a I'm winning, yeah, a, a, exactly, right? And so um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's very disheartening. Some days you, you feel like you're banging your head against the wall and of course.
0: So let's uh, take a step back um, if we can and talk about policing in general. Um, in your experience, what, what, what role does race play in American policing today? What do you see?
2: Well, I know that. I mean, just as a broad stroke, I'm every every time someone's described in a police report, the first thing is, is race, right? They're they're a black man or a white, you know, white woman or something. It's it somehow matters in cases where identity is has absolutely nothing to do with the case at all. I mean, it could be a DUI, and it's like this person is a You know, is a black man 34 years old, and it's like it's not a mystery, uh, (laughs) yeah, but it's what his his ID is, yeah, right. It's like you put that in the biographical information, like, I what does the fact that someone might be black have anything to do with whether or not they were, you know, able to drive safely, right? And it's, um, you know, people make 911 calls, and I, I remember I don't even remember what jurisdiction it was in, but I remember hearing a dispatcher say. What was his race? And there's like all this commotion going on in the background. It's some kind of volatile situation. And what was his race? What was his race? It's like, what does that matter, right? Get <laughs> police here. Like, it's a volatile situation. But, um, and obviously, just in the way that race plays a role in all of, certainly American society, and you probably argue the world around for sure, um, It's it's always there. There's this idea of I, um, certain neighborhoods are obviously policed more often. Uh, certain neighborhoods are called um, active, active, you know, open air drug markets, things like that. And it's certainly not the type of neighborhoods that have, you know, big three story houses and a bunch of land. Right. Even though mm-hmm. we know that uh, drug use is just as pervasive, if not more so, amongst white people and people who have money. Um, it's just, it's looked at a lot differently now in, in some ways things are, I have seen improvements, uh, obviously with the way marijuana is treated. I mean, I've got cases now where I'm sure people are still doing 20 year sentences in federal prison and, and people, you know, in the state I'm in where it's, it's only a, a civil ticket for, for 10 grams or less. I mean, even though, again, going to prosecutorial discretion, sometimes even those cases where someone has less than 10 grams might get charged as possession with intent to distribute um, if they're in multiple containers or something. But there's certainly been, um, um, (laughs) I guess, a recognition in regard to some types of crimes, such as marijuana possession, which have historically uh, hurt people of color um, a whole lot in terms of, of, of the criminal justice system. Um, of course, now that it's become a lot more normalized amongst, uh, people, you know, white people, uh, it is, it's getting treated differently, but I do think at least there is still that recognition that it's something that, that hurts, hurts, uh, black people a lot more. Um, but in, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hear it. I hear race talked about, like I said, in videos, I hear it, Um,
1: are they, do you find that, uh, do you find that, that, you know, uh, police officers or judges or prosecutors, um, or, you know, any, any of the officials that, that work within the system, you know, let me back up. I know when you're walking down the street, you hear and see people do racist things. You and I have talked about this, so we've we've compared notes. you know when you and I'm not asking you to, you know talk about specific colleagues of yours or folks that you work with every day, but just generally within the system, you know, do you see that same sort of just undercurrent of racism just in regular individual people's lives? In other words, people, think justice is blind people think that that like that's the whole thing right like the the yeah. blindfolded you know lady holding the scales um, it those same biases and and sort of racist sentiments and tendencies that people have are you do you see that in the criminal justice system or is it just like you know Harvard professors writing about how in, you know unjust and racist the criminal justice system is is this something that you notice or is this um, yeah is it is yeah.
2: it, it, it is um, certainly in terms of you'll have cases where uh, punishments vary wildly for very similar facts, uh, and and it appears race dependent. Um, you will get, I mean, <laughs> you know, one of the worst things in, in the criminal justice system is if you miss a court date, a warrant goes out and you get put in jail. Right? Mm. It's the only appointment you can ever you know miss, and your freedom gets taken away from it for it. And half the time. You would have just walked up to the, you know, table when your case gets called for two seconds and it would have just got, you know, all right, next court date, nothing's happening today. Right. But you you still go to jail if you miss it. But I've seen or, or heard of situations where, you know, maybe visiting, I don't know, there are judges where somebody will show up late to a court date and get put into jail and and that person might be black and then a white person will do something very similar and might be able to give an explanation and have that warrant recalled. And it is, I mean, we, you know, there's no other explanation for that other than Mm. one was white and one was black. And it is, it's wild because I don't think those who, who I guess meet out, those Punishments, or or, um, or whatever you want to call them, uh, even realize it. A lot of times, I, I I've heard police because there are police officers working in the courthouse who I talk with all the time, and in some ways they're almost like colleagues because I see them every day, and I have good relationships with a lot of them. And some black, some white, and you know I've heard officers who are white kind of talking disbelief about how people might say policing is is racist like they, they may not even they really don't realize it and um how you might perceive someone uh, certainly a, uh, a a poor black heroin addict versus a, a a white kid who came from a good family and you know picked up this heroin addiction due to a back injury yeah as, a, as you know family support and and in, in a, in maybe a different way, um, you know, parents who are, I, I don't know. It, it's just,
0: yeah. And it's so crazy. Cause like I, when you say that, you know, you, you see officers who, you know, s- say they don't see racism in policing. Like, I almost don't believe you because I can't yeah. imagine
2: that, you know, right like it's like uh, uh, it's just mind-blowing it's well it's just it's part uh it again it's so pervasive it's part of being a police officer but it is just it's it's there and it I I really think it's possible a lot of officers do not realize yeah totally and but you know you read articles there's some article that I read one time that was based, I think it was titled, I was a racist police officer and it was the officer, you know, his first day at the jail, other officers are, you know, calling those who are incarcerated, you know, apes and horrible things like that. And it's just that type of stuff ended up being normal to where it wasn't weird anymore. Yeah. And you That's know, just I, how it is, right? And yeah. it's mm. it's it's easy as a white person to ignore those types of things. It's it's hard when I have to make an argument to a judge that that you know race was a factor in why this person was stopped and things of that nature. It's even weirder in you know a jury trial where you know I had one where I, basically I I was arguing to the jury that they saw the first black man that they saw and you know i never i i didn't ever say those exact words right it's kind of hard to just go all in on that Mm -hmm. type of thing Mm -hmm. but when you know i talked to a juror after and they told me those exact words like yeah it seemed like they just stopped the first one and i mean that was one of the you know proudest moments of my my, Mm my my time in that like to be able to communicate issues about race without being able to over overtly say them i mean god if i if i Say something about, you know, you jurors have seen the police shootings that happen across the. I mean, it's immediate objection. I'm getting yelled at by the mm-hmm. judge, things like that. Right. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not something to be said all of the time. Yeah. Um, and but on the other hand, with the jury, I'm, I'm basically, <laughs> you know, competing with a prosecutor to convince them that racism exists. And, you know, if I win, I did. Right, and so it's
1: without without being able to say the word racism very much. (laughs) Yeah,
2: because then you're
1: crying racism.
2: Exactly, and it's it's wild. I guess I wouldn't call it necessarily a backlash, but if you start to say things about racism to a lot of people in the in the justice system, they will, you know, oh, you're playing the race card type of eye roll situation. Right. right and it's um yeah that's everywhere <laughs> it's everywhere <laughs> right? accused of being racist right like... right but this is people's fa- freedom their lives Jeez. their families they're you know seeing their kids grow up it's it's a mu- it matters more right and it's 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 very disheartening the idea that oh you're playing the race card it, it even pops up um because there's no re- there's really no way to not recognize that you know um a biased criminal justice system nationwide and biased policing, unless you really try hard to bury your head in the sand or, or just focus on the police officers you know or, or things like that, right? right, the, right. The, the standard ways that people um, are able to convince themselves racism doesn't exist, I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to be real with you. This is mm-hmm. depressing. <laughs> <I'm, sorry. laughs> it's okay. You've been... we knew what we were getting honest and if you know you're speaking the truth so i mean that's what it is um but we do like to uh leave our listeners with some hope um so if you could tell us and speaking directly to white people what can they do to help the 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 criminal justice system in general um do you know, do they do they follow your lead? Does everyone have to go to law school uh, and and do what you do? Because that's obviously helping. But but I hope. What are
2: other options for white people specifically? Um, and I wouldn't say you know that I I've, I've got some kind of lead here to follow, but I do think just uh, we're saying it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in, in line with what I I appreciate it. in line of what I was saying, and it's that especially in the criminal justice context, I think you someone has to work hard to convince themselves that these things uh, don't exist and that they don't matter and it, and it's really almost easier I think because you know I'm white I, I know these things like when I listen to your podcast and it's like you know, I, I, you know black people can't be racist by our definition things like that like I can imagine that you know, A lot of white people, you know, kind of not liking those types of things. Right. And it's like you if you you kind of have to embrace that there is a difference and not see people as the other. And even that next layer of, oh, they're criminals. Right. Mm. Because the more you learn about the law, the more you can see that everyone is a criminal. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is. in in Colorado, for example, there was a law where you can't, um, you know, touch someone in a way to annoy them. And if it's like your significant other, then it could be domestic violence. So like, technically, you tickle somebody that could be, um, you know, a domestic violence crime, right? And it's It's, like people, it's a lot easier to, to have that, oh, they're different mentality. And I think that you know, going full circle to what I was saying earlier on is people are trying to convince me they're a good person and it's like look this has nothing the worst even the worst thing you've ever done does not define who you are and um, I think just <laughs> I guess normalizing crime is a, is a huge part in the sense that it there's just so many layers if you're seeing them as, as a different race as criminals it's that much easier to ignore uh, that they're people as well and and they god i sound horrible saying that but right, i know mean, I mean, but i know exactly i know exactly i know exactly what, know exactly right. what you yeah. mean
1: yeah and no it makes people,
0: a lot of sense people
1: who get who find themselves in the criminal justice system are people and they are not just criminals that don't that that have a sort of lesser humanity because of their criminality or alleged criminality. No, we hear we hear what you're saying. Totally. I, I
0: you are not your
2: crime. Exactly. Even if, even if you do commit it. Right, and it's it's a place that any of us could end up in. Um, you get these horrible. I get to the cases where, for example, somebody got a DUI, got in an accident, and, and tragically someone died in the accident. And it's, I mean, that could happen to a lot of us, and it could happen to every single person, who ever gets in trouble for a DUI that didn't get in an accident, where no one was hurt, things like that. But when the most tragic consequences occur... Mm. All of a sudden, you're a horrible person. And right. it's like, I just, you know, did a bunch of traffic cases the other day and walked a bunch of people with their first DUI out the door with no conviction and no points on their record, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. they all got in trouble because of what could have happened. And, you know, that did happen in this case. And all of a sudden, you can't get out of jail for a year, right? Yeah. And it's. It's it without <laughs> no bond type of situation. And it's, um, I think just as with racism in general, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, which is exceedingly difficult in in that context, but um, also understanding that those who are charged with crimes or may do things that you don't agree with are really still not that different and a lot of times grew up in much different circumstances. So you can't really just, you know, look at these, look at, you know, these other situations in a vacuum, like I wouldn't rob somebody. I mean, you don't know how that person grew up. You don't know what's what they were facing at that time. You don't know that they had a a drug addiction that if they stopped using for, you know, I don't know, eight hours, then they were in some kind of horrible, horrible pain going through withdrawal. Yeah, right. It's right. You don't know what people are going through and to just judge them as if they had you know, whatever great life you might have had, and had the same choices you had, and had the same, you know, options and same safety net, is, it, you know, it, is not right. So,
1: I have I some don't empathy, know. I guess, is what you're asking.
0: Yeah, remember yeah. That we're people. It sounds so simple, but like we're
2: people. Yeah, and we're um, all the same in that way. Yes, and and I guess even for those people who might be victims to really think about what it means when you ask or when you tell the judge that this person needs to get the maximum punishment, um, what, I mean, what that really means, right? Like it's, it's horrible when someone gets their house burglarized and and when they worry that they might come home and, and someone might be there, things of that nature. But it's also horrible to, you know, lock someone in a box and keep them away from everything, and and give them no freedom of choice uh, for years. Um, and we're the only country that does this. That locks people in
1: cages. We're the only democracy that locks people in cages the way that we do. That with it right. to the, you know, the 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 three or four countries below us in terms of incarceration combined don't. Equal to us, don't yeah. equal to the number of people that we have in prison, uh, yeah. jails in prison, which I think is like two. It's like twenty-five
0: percent. Yeah. I think. Of yeah,
1: all yes. the
2: people in jail are jailed it, in America. It's right. absolutely cool. staggering when you read that those statistics. We'll have to have you because
1: I'm tempted to start talking about mass incarceration now, but I feel like we <laughs> have we have kept you for long enough, um, and so we'll have to have you back on uh, when we uh, when we start to tackle some of those sort of related issues as well. Um, but uh, we we
2: appreciate the time, Derek. We uh, we know you're busy. Yeah, I I again I'm honored you guys have had me on the show. The show has been great. We appreciate it, of course.
1: So for this episode's action item, um, it's it's really specific to me. Um, so I feel sort of selfish here, but. Look what's new. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> this is great. Um, love this. Love the time we're spending together. Um, when you, as a white ally, as a white person, see, this usually happens in social media, see a video or a post of a black person being abused, rights violated, some story where a black person's getting the shit into the stick from the court system, where a black person's getting beat up by police, where all the just bad things that circulate on the internet, and you think to go send it to your black friend? Don't. That's the action item. Just don't. We don't need you to show us the bad things that are happening to Black people and Brown people in this country, um, it is emotional labor for us to even process those things. I still haven't seen when they see us, mm-hmm. right? Like I, mm-hmm. you know, and so many people reached out to me. You're gonna love this. You can't. I can't I'm wait. I'm gonna to hear love your, it. Am I gonna right? love it? I can't wait to hear your feedback. I can't wait to. That's just an example of a non-viral video. It's just. A, it was a Netflix series. It's a, It takes a toll on us to see people like us repeatedly being abused and our rights violated and with no consequences, with no, with nothing, um, to being done to, to, Bring justice to the situation. We know that it happens. We will find out that it that uh, the next big bad thing that has gone viral that's happened to a black person. We will find out about it because
0: because it might happen to us,
1: right? And and we'll find out about it because our uncle
0: or friend or mom or cousin, right? So thank you for knowing in your head when you see it that it's wrong, right? And that hey. So we need to bring attention to this and you know call this out sure fair don't send me the video though we just don't need it in our lives
1: i know it comes from a good place because it is par- partially it's you know it's wrong and you want to share it because maybe I, you want to share it with me cuz maybe i'd want to share it with my sort of audience right um, but it also sort of comes off as wanting approval from the black or brown person. Look at this video I found of this bad thing that's happening. That to I this.
0: recognize is wrong. Exactly.
1: I'm like, right, it is wrong. That doesn't, this shouldn't take... You should do something about it, white person. Right, this shouldn't take a... a you don't get an award for recognizing when a, a high school, a young black high school girl is body slammed on the ground by a police officer. You don't, like, you recognizing that that's wrong, it's not a...
0: It's not impressive. And also, like, sorry but the fact that you seeing that video like scrolling through your timeline on Facebook brought this into your consciousness at that time that kind of stuff is always on black people's mind so like it just pinged into your brain to think about you know a bad thing that happened to a black person because you saw it on your timeline i don't need to be reminded that things these things happen mm-hmm. you're not reminding me of this or sharing something that we don't already know about. Deal, yeah, right. I've been thinking about it. I was thinking about it when you emailed it to me. I was thinking about it as I, you know, commuted to work. I was thinking about it every night before I go to sleep. So it's, this kind of stuff is leaving your brain and entering it whenever it wants to or whenever you're reminded of it, but it's always on our mind. So ha- seeing it visually represented every day on a new video uh, is not helpful. It's in fact, it's damaging actually.
1: So you took over the.
0: I did the action item. Sorry, action <laughs> item.
1: But um, no, I'm just—I'm so just kidding. Um, but that's our action item for this episode.
0: This episode of Black and was produced by us, April and Jonathan Perkins. It was edited by me. And our music is by Fifth Child. You can find more of his work at fifthchildmusic.com. That's number five, fifthchildmusic.com.
1: You can find Black Ann wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Also, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, be mindful,
0: be vigilant, and and keep keep asking asking questions.
1: questions.